I'm Hassel. And I'm JP. And welcome to Pulled Corks Podcast. Alright guys, episode two. We survived one episode and now we're back for the second. And since we like the last one so much, we do another volcano. Yes. So last time we were on here, we were talking about wines from Mount Etna. Sicily. In Sicily, which is a volcanic soil. And, uh, and so now we're back. We're just going to keep with that volcano theme. And we're going to go down to the, the Grand Canaries. The Canary Islands, yeah. The thing is, the island is even smaller and the volcano even taller. Yes. Yep. So, so this is about the size of uh, Mount Fuji. Almost exactly as tall. Like a like 200 foot difference or something. Yeah, really. And to be specific, we're going to be talking about... Uh, Tenerife. Tenerife. Tenerife is the biggest of the seven main Canary Islands. They belong to Spain. They're just off the coast of Morocco, so way down south. But the mountain, the volcano we're talking about, the Pico del Teide, is the tallest mountain of all Spain. You have to imagine that on that small island. Right. And, you know, it is a part of Spain. It's, like you said, off the coast of Morocco, but it's been part of Spain for a really long time. So it's far away from Spain, but it's not like some new addition to the country. No. It was actually already Spanish territory, or the Spanish were starting conquering it when Columbus made his way to America. He actually stopped over there at the island of La Gomera. And they were fighting with the Portuguese a little bit, so we have some Portuguese culture and grapes also. So we have a wild mixture of really old grape varieties there. Uh, yes, and uh, there's not really much history of natives prior to the Spanish being there. There is the Guanches. It was like a more or less primitive culture. Yeah, they said when they arrived, it was a Neolithic yes. community. Stone Age. Stone Age. And, and even when the, uh, when the Romans arrived there, they said that it was uh, unoccupied. But they did find a few stone buildings, uh, a few stone temples, and that was it. Those natives were there between the Romans and the Spaniards, so it's... Uh... Yeah, nobody actually really knows where they come from. There are legends that say, or the Spanish records say, they were tall and blonde-haired. Mm. So they might have been even descendants of Vikings. There are all kinds of theories. Right. And it's, so it's kind of just uh, open land there for the taking. And actually, it's, the Spanish never took much care about natives. They didn't really worry about that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they just killed everyone and lied to us and said, ah, it was empty. <laughs> it definitely wasn't empty. So there was a culture on Tenerife and also the neighboring islands. There are still some words and especially place names from their native <clears throat> language. Yeah, this is a really interesting blend of cultures. So they were assimilated into the Spanish culture. There's some foods like the gofio they eat on this island. It's like a roasted barley meal mm-hmm. they eat for breakfast that is actually coming from that Guanche culture, from these native people who lived on these islands. Very nice. Oh, and to all you guys out there, uh, JP is an expert on the 
the Canary Islands because he actually used to live there. I lived on the island of La Palma, which is the westernmost, northwesternmost of the seven islands. It's close to Tenerife. It belongs to the same uh, district. So Tenerife was like the car number of all the cars on this island too. And from my house in La Palma, I could actually see the volcano of Teide just across the sea. I could see the little white ferry crossing over. So I have kind of an emotional connection. So these wines are dear to my heart. We are trying two wines from Tenerife today. Yeah, we were talking about the food, like the, the roasted barley meal, but there's also an abundance of seafood on these islands. Oh, I'm sure. Um, there's a ton of bananas growing there. Actually, a lot of the wine was pushed back into the mountains when the banana plantations started. They grow sugar cane, so they have kind of rum, they grow tobacco, they have handmade cigars there that are famous. So it's basically a subtropical, tropical environment. But due to the altitude, they can grow wine there in all kinds of... We already talked in the Etna episode about mm -hmm. it. They have all kinds of microclimates around this island, around the volcano. And especially the area we're talking about today, the Valle de la Orotava, in the north of the volcano, collect there the, the clouds are collected at the slopes of the volcano and they have more humidity and rain. So uh, it's ideal to grow grapes there. Very cool. And speaking of grapes, they have uh, several different types. Uh, the white grapes, they have the Malvasia. Yeah, that's historic, historically very important. Nowadays, not as much anymore. It was used for heavy sweet wines. They were exporting to the Caribbean, <clears throat> to the New World. Mm -hmm. Like sturdy Madeira-style sweet wines. Like a Marsala, maybe. Right. And the Liston Blanco. Yeah, this is interesting. Um, Liston Blanco, is you find it on all the Canary Islands. And it, it's actually the same grape as the Palomino Blanco, which is the sherry grape. Ah, okay. So it makes sense. Spain and sherry. Yeah. Let me see if I can get this right. <coughs> Sorry, Spanish-speaking people. The uh, Marmajuelo? Yeah, Marmajuelo is actually a native grape to the Canaries. You won't find it anywhere else. It's okay. rare and yeah, ancient. So anytime you tell me that, that just makes me want to yeah. try it. Yeah. <laughs> Same about the Gual. I, I never heard about the Gual, yeah. the Verdeo. The Verdeo is uh, you find it in Portugal, yeah. in Spain. Yeah, that's more common. Uh, Forastera. Yeah, and a couple of other like yeah. And then we have the Reds. That's the Lista Negro, which mm -hmm. is for you as an American. The mission grape. Yeah, the good old mission grape you find <laughs> in California. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, Negra Mole, and also the Tintilla, which is actually the Trousseau from Jura. Right. Oh, okay. So the, oh, so the Jura, the crazy... Yeah, it's not as uh, cool climate and right. acidic as you find it there. It's more ripe and warm climate style in the Canaries, and it's usually used in blends. I think we'll have it in the blend we are trying today. Very, very cool. So, more about Tenerife... Usually the Canary Islands, the island itself is a DO. Mm -hmm. Only Tenerife, which is the largest one, has different DOs. And we are actually looking at the Valle de la Orotava, right. which means Valley of Orotava. 
But uh, it's not a valley, I heard. It's like more like a slope of the volcano. Oh, okay. It's not an actual well, valley. Yeah, so obviously all grapes are grown on volcanic soil. Mm-hmm. The topsoil is quite sandy. So the phylloxera, the parasite, doesn't ah, like sandy yes. soil. America's gift to Europe. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you as the Bordeaux expert could get into it a little bit. So uh, I'll give you guys a brief little rundown. I'm sure we'll do a, a disgusting episode of the phylloxera, which is this uh, mite or, or louse that lives underground and it uh, feeds on the roots. It basically pierces the rootstocks. Yes. Uh, it, you can also find... Uh, it lays its eggs in these le- in the leaves as well. It's just disgusting. These mucus-filled packs. Parasites. It's a parasite. It's absolutely a parasite on grapevines, and it uh, came over to Europe from America because I think I don't have my numbers, but it, it was really popular in France in the mid 1800s to import all these different garden plants from America. So they were bringing in, I forget, it was, it was a huge amount. Like in one year, it was like 70 tons of garden plants were imported from America to France. And they brought, eventually, the, oh, they started bringing over American grapes as well. So, yeah, they were trying them, especially in the southern Rhone. They yes. Were experimenting with American grapes. And with these grapes came a little mite. And it started... I believe around Bordeaux is where they first noticed. No, that was Southern Rome. Southern. Oh, you're right. It was Southern Rome. I remember the story now. So it's just, yeah, it's Southern Rome. So these, uh, and it just it doesn't happen overnight, and that's what made this hard. By the time that the the vines start dying, it's too late. You're infested. So there's nothing you can do about it then. But they didn't have any idea what was causing this. All they knew was all these vines started to die off. And they couldn't figure it out at all. They couldn't find a remedy. Couldn't find any remedies. And even when they did finally discover that it was this little itty bitty, very, very, very small, small bug. This nasty little thing doing it. They refused to believe it. They did not want to accept the fact that some t- some tiny, tiny little thing underground was causing this problem, which led to more delay in solving the problem. And everything they tried, there was nothing they could do that, that would stop it. And then they noticed that some of these American grape varieties that were a completely different species of grape than old world European grapes. Like, well, all the wine grapes in Europe are variations of the species of Vitis vinifera and the American grapes are different some Vitis lambrusca and uh, others all kinds of all kinds of different ones but they're not Vitis vinifera what you would usually consider to be old world wine grapes now they noticed that these new world varieties of wine this other species well it's been living with this parasite for millions of years so it, it completely built up a tolerance to this so they weren't dying from it so they got this idea to cut the rootstocks off of the uh, European vines and graft them onto the rootstocks of the American varieties of vine. And it worked. 
the phylloxera wasn't able to destroy the uh, the wines. Yeah, it couldn't attack the American rootstocks; they were resistant. Right, and uh, so that saved that saved the wine for in, in Europe. They, they right now, if you buy, if you go to Burgundy or you go to uh, Bordeaux or the Rhone, those vines because phylloxera is here; it's not going anywhere; it's staying here; it's not leaving Europe. So if you're growing grapes. In Europe right now, they have rootstocks from these American species of grapes. You you find in some remote, really slaty Mosul vineyards, you find original rootstocks because the phylloxera has problems to get there, or where you have really sandy soil. They seem to hate sand. Which brings us back to the Canary Islands. So it's volcanic ashes and sand there. It's not hospitable for them, and the islands are so remote. Right. They never really brought in a lot of them in the first place. So we have original rootstock grape wines that go back to the 1800s. So over 100 year old, 150 year old, really old, gnarly grape wines. Yeah. And the other thing is they have a very interesting system of training them because it slopes, it's an island, you have storms, winds you cannot imagine. So these vines just crawl on the ground, correct? Crawl on the ground and they are braided into each other. Ah. So it's called the cordon trenzado. Mm-hmm. So they use the cordon training, but they braid the vines along the cordon. And these, like, they almost look like dreadlocks of grape wine. It's pretty wicked looking. Yeah. So Google sometimes it. with the old ones, we will put some link in the show notes. Because you have to have a look at this. It's yeah, it's pretty, really cool. It's, you it's, can see a picture on on the podcast. Later. If you saw a picture of these vineyards, the first thing about, you're not going to say, "Oh, look, it's a vineyard." Yeah, it, it looks really interesting. Yes, and sometimes with the older vineyards, you don't even know which grape variety is braided in there. Correct. So that's why they have a lot of field blends there. Both wines we have today will be kind of grown together grapes from different varieties. Very nice. Yeah. And now I want to talk a little bit about the specific winery we're going to taste today. Okay. Uh, the winery is called Suertes del Marques. It's uh, pretty recently founded. I think it's 2006. They founded this winery. And they you, you have to think about these islands where usually run by little grape growers and cooperatives making some table wine. And they were the first ones, like pioneers, in really pushing forward quality winemaking. So they got really good winemakers from the Spanish mainland and built something there. They bought parcel by parcel of the mm-hmm. best vineyards on the island. And they, they are actually the pioneer. We have now, their former winemaker has his own label now. It's called Envinate. They're pretty good too. Um, Suertes del Marques... They're the iconic Tenerife producer. So this is it. So if you if you want to taste as the, good as it gets, awesome. So they do minimal intervention winemaking. They work organically as much as possible. They use concrete vats, uh, special French concrete vats, mm-hmm. uh, used also by DRC and Chateau Petrus. Now you see what kind of ambition they have. Yeah, absolutely. And they have custom made oak barrels, French oak barrels from Burgundy. 
500 liter size and they blend like the concrete and the oak uh, to their special taste very cool so we get yeah they do don't do any racking or stirring really low low intervention so we get high quality wine from really really exotic grapes from a terroir you won't find at any other place on earth and the prices are still very affordable we we talk about under 20 euro for the two wines we have awesome <laughs> so let's try it Okay, so the first one here is called Trenzado. Okay. Trenzado is the braided. Ah, well, so perfect. You, you have the braided wine on the label. Mm -hmm. You can see that later on Instagram or wherever we post this. It's a field blend of mostly Listan Blanco, which is the Palomino Blanco uh, of the Sherry region. And uh, we have some Vidueño, the Mamahuelo we were talking, the Gual. So we get all these native things. So just a... And now... Funny enough, another sherry variety, Pedro Jimenez. Ah, well. The good old PX. Good old PX. Yeah, ungrafted wines, so what we are talking, no phylloxera. Mm -hmm. uh, they're really old. They're from different vineyards, blended, all volcanic soils, some clay in there. Yeah, and they only do wild yeast fermentation. So they only use native yeast to the island. Really? Adds to the terroir even more. So let's give it a try. Yeah, let's do this. This is definitely one of the most exotic wines we ever had. Okay. Whoa! That's different. It's bright, light straw color. It's very yeah. clean. It, they don't filter at all. So you see, they don't stir it. So it's very, very clean. Very funky aroma. Very funky on the nose. You yeah. definitely get that volcanic soil. You get the wild yeast. You definitely get the wild yeast. So, yeah, you even have like gunpowder in there. Yeah, you yeah. do. Like Almost like the, the slaty smell of the Mosul. It reminds me a lot of the Etna we had last time. This kind of reminds me. Because I just said, oh, I happened to be there last week. So, this reminds me. If, <laughs> if I've got any beer drinkers listening mm. to me right now. And if you've ever been to Brussels, and you've ever been to a brewery called Cantillon, and you go inside there, it smells like the inside of their brewery. Because their brewery is just full of uh, yeast. So we also have to say that this uh, wine had like 40% of the wine had a month of skin contact. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of an orange component in this too. Oh, yeah. And it's completely covered by that. Interesting gunpowder that wild yeast. That is delicious. Funky smell, it's not a funky taste. That is it's really delicious. Unfolding in your mouth. It's That's very, very complex. One of the most like, complex wines I've ever even, tasted. Even in France you don't get this kind not of this. There's so there's just so much going on. No. Unbelievable that you get this kind of complexity mm. and quality at this price. Yeah, it does not have that. When I was talking about that beer, it does not have the flavor of that at all. But de definitely the nose. Yeah. Definitely the nose. Definitely the nose. <clears throat> but that funky aroma, which I love that funky aroma because I know, you know, I already know it's going to taste good. It smells like a lambic, yeah, like a lambic beer, but it doesn't taste like. And there's it's citrus, not sour at all. Stone fruit. Mm -hmm. There's a lot going on in this wine. This is fantastic. That is a winner. Yeah. 
That is a winner. All right. So their investment in quality definitely paid out. Yes. And if they're going on like this, they're also have, having a higher quality range even. So you have to expect something coming out of Tenerife in the next couple of years. Absolutely, that is. They, they are off to a really good start. Absolutely remarkable wine. So let's move on to the red. The red. Siete Fuentes. Siete Fuentes, so the seven fountains or wells or springs. Seven springs. Springs, I would say. It's also, it's uh, Dio, Valle de la Orotava. You see, like, the harvesters on the picture on the label, they have uh, big hats, almost like the Japanese tea harvesters. Yeah. To protect themselves from the strong sun they have. Ah, okay. Yeah. You, you don't see that uh, on the European mainland a lot. It's very interesting. So we have... Almost like a sombrero. Yeah, almost like a Mexican sombrero. Yeah. So we have here 80% Listan Negro, a mix of young wines and over 100 year old ungrafted wines from different vineyards again, all kinds, they blend them. And then we have 10% Tintilla, which is the Trousseau from Jura again. So expect some funk in this one too. There's a little Listan Blanco in this, so uh -huh. white. It's like a Rome blend where you just add a little white. And only 40% of this wine is actually aged in used oak, 500 liter burgundy oak barrels. Oh, okay. So, yeah. They're more or less neutral. They aged them for eight months in the oak. And the rest is uh, in small concrete tanks. Ah. So let's give it a try. Yep, let's do this one now. This, this also uses a lot of yeast, correct? Yes. They only, like everything they only do spontaneous fermentation. Gotcha. You see, it's a light color. It is. It reminds Looks a little, like a Beaujolais. Yeah, or like a May Beaujolais. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness, but you know yeah. what it smells like? It smells a lot like a Dornfelder. Yeah, or a Gamay. Yeah, or a Gamay, yeah. It could be a funky natural Beaujolais. Mm -hmm. Because again, it has a little bit of that it has the gunpowder and funkiness. <laughs> but there's also, also a, a ton of fruit. A ton of fruit on the nose, yeah. Like fresh strawberries, raspberries. You can see that it's not completely clear. No, it is. Uh, not definitely not filtered, not fined. And this kind of spice and together with the fruit is really unique. Definitely some of the gunpowder carries over under mm. the really fresh, crisp acidity for red wine from a subtropical country. Yeah, and it, <laughs> I'll be honest with you, it still reminds me a bit of the Gamay or the Dornfelder. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's, it's the fruitiness. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, even the, almost like a little bit Pinot Noir. Yeah, definitely. So we have the Mission Grape as the main, and then. Playing together with the trousseau from Jura and a little bit of sherry. Yeah, so <laughs> this is a really interesting blend. It really is. It's, it's really nice. That kind of tastes like a Beaujolais. <laughs> yeah, it, it really does. It's like a funky Beaujolais. It'd be a good alternative to a Beaujolais, honestly. Mm. I pr actually, I would prefer this. And it's easy drinking. Mm -hmm. Like, alcohol is... 
13.5 and you don't feel it. Right. Oh, no, not, not at all. Not at all. It's yeah. really light on the palate. Yeah. The tannins are just the right balance. It's a very, very well-balanced and also complex fruit. Easy to drink. Wine. It's a very easy to drink red wine. You know, if you are new to wine and uh, yeah. you're wanting to venture into more reds, this would be a good one. I mean, this is the kind of red wine where the bottle just disappears. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You wonder where, where it went. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, everyone, uh, anything else to uh, add there, JP? No, I, I think we, we did it. So, really, we recommend you to explore the Canary Islands, especially Suertes del Marques and their quality. Also, maybe Envinate. All the high-quality producers from Tenerife, I can really recommend. So, all of you uh, Americans listening here, get online, uh, see if you can find it. Yeah. Please get back to us, because we don't live, uh, yeah, we live you know, right on the German-French border, and we get it all. We uh, can get this stuff anytime, and so let us know what it's going for over in the U.S. Get back to us, try it if you can, if it's affordable for you. So that's uh, that's the Canary Islands. Yeah, so. that's. Tenerife. There are still other islands to explore. There's Lanzarote, La Palma. Right. We definitely get back to that uh, area because it's really interesting. It's up and coming. Still quite affordable. So so we'll come back to you with some more uh, Canary Island episodes. Definitely. <clears throat> Maybe we can go down there and you know, re- record live in the Canary yeah. Islands. Yeah. All right. So uh, check us out on uh, Facebook. On Instagram. As pulled corks, find us on or oh or JP pulled corks on Instagram will work. <laughs> Twitter pulled corks uh, or our really awesome website uh, pulled corks the unpretentious fine beverage magazine at www.pulled-corks.com. Check it out. All right. So until next week. Salute. Salute.